Are we recording? We are. Not good. Can I thank you for dinner on Saturday? Can. Hey. What, what kind of noodle was that? Good to see you, by the way. Good to see you, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, Pam. It, and it's so apparent right off the top, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Jeff, Pam, and Scott minus the Pam. What, what did you? What, what was the recipe you made? I have to get that from you, by the way. Did you guys like it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a mushroom pistachio pasta. It called for a certain kind of pasta, uh, sort of like that was rigatoni. It was sort it was of like bigger. Like, he it was for a wa- bigger one. Be wider. Okay. You know, rigatoni's same length, but it's called for a wider noodle. Yeah. But I couldn't find that, so I just got those, and that was I thought it was good. I like I like pasta though. I like. I like making well, you make your your homemade pasta too. Yeah, do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So this is episode number thirty-two. Thirty-two. What are we talking about tonight? Well, we were talking about the Old oh, Testament and the New Testament, mm-hmm. and I, I think you ended last episode with. I, we were talking about uh, how did we get the Bible? I know this is going to sound silly, but I mean it when I ask it. What other work could be a combination of? letters and scripture mm-hmm. and from all these different sources and make any kind of sense if you were if you were setting out to put together a book right i think that's what makes the the bible so compelling don't you 66 different documents that are compiled and and there are they are i don't want to say they're i mean they're they're, they're cohesive they they follow a a, a a train of thought i don't know of any other any other work like that personally where you have, you know, how many different authors, maybe 20-some, 20, I forget the number now, 27 maybe or something. I guess maybe a, a series of short stories. I don't know, I'm trying to yeah, think but, of. But how, would they all, how do they all interact exactly. with one another? Exactly. Yeah. And this is over a period of, you know, maybe some, maybe some you know, 1,500 years. Right. It's not like they're all contemporaries to one another. Let's kind of recap a little bit we're talking about. How did, how did we get, how did the world get the Bible? Not how did we get it. We went down to the store and purchased one. How did the world get its Bible? Well, it starts with, with Jesus, of course, but it starts with um, a doctor named Luke. And he is presumably asked by uh, Theophilus, uh, maybe a rich landowner. I don't know exactly who he was, but um, somebody of some importance and some wealth. Ask him if he would, he became a follower of, of Jesus. And he asked him if he would write down a, a presumably write down a, an account of the story of Jesus. So that's what Luke sets out to do. At the beginning he says, number one, he says, I'm not the only one to do this, which was, which I believe my understanding is was pretty, uh, pretty unique first century. Uh, there weren't many people telling the same story. There weren't many people that were literate to begin with, I guess. And and so it was interesting that, that more than just Luke decided to write down an account of what happened. And so Luke sets out to do that. And, uh, and so he tells this story of Christ. What's interesting is, is that, you know, tells the story of, of, of Jesus. He's doing this for Theophilus, right? And he gets to a place where he talks about the, the death and the burial of Jesus. And in there he talks about um, that... Um, Nicodemus and um, and um, Joseph Joseph of Arimathea come take down the body and, and bury it, and then the women go they go and get some uh, embalming spices to come back and embalm the body and so forth. And uh, if the story ended there with Jesus, 
there'd be no Bible because that would be it. There were a lot of people that kind of came along and people thought they were a Messiah type, uh, like Jude, uh, Judas uh, Maccabeus, kind of thought he was you know, that Messiah type, but when he died, he stayed dead. And so when Jesus resurrected and he appeared to people, appeared to his disciples, appeared to 500 people, and this word got out, and so now, now there's a story. And so uh, when this Theophilus becomes a follower of Jesus, he says, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I, I, I'm, I'm all in, I believe. Um, I've, I've heard the stories and whether or not Theophilus saw the resurrected Christ, I, I'm not sure that'd be a good, good thing to, to, to know, to look up. Um, and so he wanted to know this story because, you know, it's a, it's a compelling story. And so they begin writing this down. So what happens is, is now you have this, so Luke was a, a, a Greek, and, uh, and so he writes an account down. Mark, John Mark, he writes an account down. Probably, uh, uh, probably uh, Peter's dictating to him. So Mark's account is, uh, is uh, short, a short account. It's very action-packed, much like uh, maybe a, a, a fisherman might tell a story. Mm-hmm. He tells us, and John Mark writes that down. Then you have... Matthew, Matthew is a uh, a Jew who becomes a follower. Who's a follower, and uh, so he's writing the story from a to to Jewish followers in a Jewish perspective. So you get a little different. He's drawing from uh, things from the Old Testament, right? Um, and then you have uh, then you have John comes along and he writes his and some interesting stuff in there. Maybe we'll get to today. Maybe we won't. Maybe next time or whatever. But so what you have now is you have um, uh, this this event, the resurrection, um, led to this movement, and this movement, of course, we know was called the Way, and so an event led to a movement. The movement then started to produce some documents talking about the life of this this Jesus. These documents then are kind of being spread around as this movement is growing. In some 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 places, you know, it's, it grows into this, the church is kind of born. So Luke writes, uh, you know, the Gospel of Luke. Well, he wasn't writing the Gospel of Luke. He was writing mm-hmm. just this, this document. Right. And then he starts to write an account of the growth of the church. And that's the, the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts. Luke writes that as well. So he's documenting this whole sequence of events that's happening. And so what we have is you have maybe maybe partial uh, uh, writings of, of uh, Mark being passed around, uh, maybe maybe full documents, maybe some people, you know, some scribes uh, copied some portions of it and they took it over this area. Maybe maybe this place over here has some of John, and this place over here has some of Matthew, and right there's these documents that are going around, and 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 persecution is so great that this is all kind of underground, right? Because they're all they're fearful. Because Emperor Diocletian, he's you know he wants to, to put an end to everything. Um, this is the end of uh, the second century, and so he he you know wants to kill all the Christians. He wants to take all the any literature, anything that has to do with it, and destroy it. Well, uh, at the beginning of the third century, then uh, that's when Constantine uh, becomes ruler. Constantine makes Christianity the vogue sort of religion. Uh, uh, and so, and all these, all these, um, I don't know what you'd call them. I'll just call them, 
don't know what to call them, theologians or whatever, people studying these, 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 they're, you know, leading the church and so forth. They start coming out of the, the, coming out of hiding and they begin to gather these documents together, right? And so they begin to put them together, this account of Jesus and so forth. And so at the beginning of the third century, that's when all these documents start to come together. So, so this event spawned a movement. The movement produced documents. And then, and then the documents were kind of compiled, brought together, uh, bound together, and then eventually reproduced. So we have a tendency to think in our day and age that uh, that Christianity came from the Bible, right? Right. That's kind of that's kind of how it is for us today. People, you know, you want to want to be a Christian. Well, you you look at the Bible and read the well, Bible because today that's where you would start. Right. You would start there. But that's not how they started. That's not how they started. Right. Exactly. So, so this so it, it started by an event, and the event's the resurrection. Not the resurrection. There's nothing. Right. And so where, where we kind of ended up last week was introducing, bringing in Old Testament. Because the question two weeks ago that we talked about was this, how do we understand uh, these passages in the Old Testament? This, right, right, exactly. And so that, so when, when we came back, you know, you were, like last week you were saying, I, I thought we were going to talk about this. And I, you know, and I thought, well, you know, we need maybe some more background before we get into how do we understand the Old Testament? Right, right. Yeah. It's just like you, though, not to warn us that we're taking a, a trip down a new rabbit hole before we get to what we said we were going to get to. Yeah, I guess so. I yeah, guess so. Yeah. yeah. But I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. What are your what are, what are your thoughts on all this so far? Well, I'm still kind of fascinated by the history of of where the world was at the time and and how how did news get spread? Let's start there. Well, I think it was it was it was oral. Right, it was okay. you know stories were stories had always been passed down orally, but they, but they you but know, the story they, of Jesus where how would someone well I, I think it was word of mouth no no okay. question no question well think about it if, if if there's ever somebody who's you know anywhere and they're doing these you know pretty pretty amazing things right. miraculous things let's call them uh, word spreads pretty quick and so it's, there's it, no newspapers at this no, point no nothing like that. And so, like, even, let's say it was expensive to do that back then. You know, I mean, not, not everybody was literate. You know, not everybody could, you know, read and write. And so to do this was, an, was a, you know, something, uh, some, something pretty special, I think. Right. And so when Luke starts to, to, to do this and the others start to do this, this is a pretty, pretty special thing. And, my, and like I told you at the beginning, my understanding is, is that this isn't a, a, a common thing where multiple people are telling the same story. It's like if someone's going to tell a story, they tell the story, and that's it. What's right. interesting here is there's multiple people telling the story uh, in their own way, the way they, the way they, the way they, from the perspective that they uh, experienced it, the perspective that they saw it, and even even maybe even like next week when we get into Paul, uh, which is really really pretty fascinating too, because Paul's a uh, probably the largest contributor of New Testament. Uh, book. So let, let's let's get back into um, uh, third century a little bit. You have all these uh, these these followers, these uh, Roman Roman and Greek followers of Christ, and and what's interesting at this time, Scott is would most of them have been Jewish prior? Uh, well, 
or, or with, uh, without know, I, a God? I, th- I, think, I think initially, you know, because Jesus was a Jew, initially there were a lot of Jewish, uh, Jewish followers. But, uh, but take Luke, for example. You know, Luke was a Greek. And so he was a doctor. And so you had, you had both these things happening at the same time. Of course, Paul, during this time, Paul was the one sent out to outside of Jerusalem to take it to you know, the rest of the world, take this message to the rest of the world. And see, that's what happens. Then what you have is you have these non-Jewish, uh, a large, uh, matter of fact, becomes predominant, uh, these followers of Jesus that are non-Jews. Uh, we can call them Romans, you call them Greeks, call them pagans. They're, they're, they're non-Jewish followers of Jesus. So what's interesting is um, what, what they're being um, criticized for is not, not the God that they worship, but the fact that they are, are talking about just one God. Because everybody had a pantheon of gods back then, you know, of course, especially the Greeks. Right? There are many, many gods, and that was no problem, except, except for Rome, because Rome, what Rome said was, listen, have all the gods you want. We don't care, whatever you want. But what we want you to do is we want you to uh, pay allegiance to Caesar at least once a year, right. uh, Caesar's Lord. And, of course, the Christians are saying, like, we can't do that. And that, that upset Rome pretty much. And so that's why all this persecution, and um, I'm probably leaving out a lot here too, but uh, so what happens is, is these uh, non-Jewish followers of Jesus start to uh, look into uh, or, or, or hear about, know about Jewish uh, Jewish text, right? From uh, you know we call it the Old Testament. Um, more appropriate is probably the uh, covenant, Old Covenant, because there was a covenant that God had with the Jewish people, and they begin to look at that, and they begin to say, well, this is amazing. So we're not the first ones to proclaim uh, one God. We're not the first ones. Right. The Jews have always said, have always um, came down on the side of there being just one God. And so they begin to start to read the, the Jewish scriptures and think, hey, this is good stuff. Now, what's interesting is the Jews didn't like that. You know, the Jews didn't say, hey, these are our, these are our texts, you know. Who are you Christians think you're going to take, take those? And they take them, and now, of course, the Jews had their own interpretation of their uh, their scriptures, and uh, these these uh, uh, Christian converts were like, "Well, we doesn't matter. We don't care what you think about them. We're looking. We're looking in them to see we can see Jesus in there. So right. naturally, they do. They begin to see Jesus everywhere in there, where presumably the you know the um, the Jewish people did not did not see. You know, Christ as being, or, or Jesus as being, the Messiah or the Christ in their in their documents. What do people struggle with most with with the Old Testament, especially in comparison to the New? I think the problem is 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 that they put them uh, they put them both on the same plane. In other words, like Scott, when 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 you and I were young, and we were given a Bible by trusted people or well let's face it some some traditions didn't allow us even to have a bible and read it because we couldn't right mm-hmm. uh, that was the job of the priest or the pastor or whatever when you got your bible you already had a pretty uh, a pretty good formulated idea of who god is and who jesus is right right and, and you never read the bible right right but you had this idea and so that's what we have we we when when People like us, and I include myself in that, when we finally come to a place 
of reading the Bible, we already know so much. And we come to the Bible with all this knowledge, correct or not, of who this God is. By by what? What are some of the ways in which we came to that knowledge? Well, parents. Okay, par- parents as Family. One right. Uh, Sunday school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So... Uh, who were these people that were giving us that information? Well, they were they were trusted adults, and so we had no reason to to doubt them, did we? No. And so they they told us the stories because that's what we learned first are the stories in the Bible. So what you and I are discussing today, we started last week, was the story of the Bible, how we got it. I just wonder where we are collectively right now in this this time in our history. In your sphere of life mm-hmm. what 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 do you see in terms of like your uh your family your children your extended family people that you know neighbors stuff like that what what do you see i see that believers are letting it be known that they're believers louder than ever okay and those that aren't are letting it be known that they aren't i think we're divisive in every aspect of our lives and that's one of them. Mm-hmm. And that can be good and bad. If you're a believer, I think it you, you, you can grow in your faith right now with people that are standing tall with you. Yeah. But I think that you have those that are saying, not for me, louder than ever, too. Um, I mean, it's simple. I think we're divisive in every way, and that's uh, that's one of the ways. That's true. That's, that's pretty simplified, which, yeah. is, which is okay. But, but I think you have... You have different different factions, if that's the right word, of those believers that are more secure in, uh, or more uh, open about what they believe. So you you certainly have a group that are um, that can tend to be um, almost ob- obnoxious about it, sure about their faith, and and that's not drawing anybody towards faith. Do do you see that too or no? I think people are obnoxious about everything right now. Yeah, that's true. Again. That's um, true. But yeah, if I, I, I think you're digging in no matter what. And I don't know if someone being obnoxious about their faith is offending anyone more than they're being offended about <laughs> everything else. But if you were already on the fence and you have someone you know who, who's obnoxious in their belief, that, that could be... I think people are looking for reasons to not believe too, not make not make that jump of faith. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. I think now is the time for a lot of people that might have been open to it previous to say, "Eh, I no, not for me." So listen to this. So this is um, have you ever heard of the Bar- uh, Barna Group? They do a lot of research. I've heard it from you. Yeah. Okay. So this was a book that was. Um, I haven't I haven't read this book, but I think I'm going to get it. The book is titled You Lost Me, <laughs> which is a great title. Um, and so it talks about um, why young Christians are leaving the church and rethinking faith. So it gives um, six reasons. So let's look at them a little bit. One, church seems overprotective. What do you think about that? Church seems overprotective. Yeah. So it says a few of the defining characteristics of today's teens and young adults are their unprecedented access to ideas and worldviews, as well as their 
uh, prodigious consumption of popular culture. As Christians, they express the desire for their faith in Christ to connect to the world they live in. However, much of their experience of, of Christianity feels stifling, fear-based, risk-averse. Christians demonize everything outside the church. All right, I get that. Okay. Other perceptions in this category include church ignoring the problems of the real world, and my church is too concerned that movies, music, and video games are harmful. So we're, we're really talking about a, a generation that, that wants to be a little more progressive or find a, a place where they can, th- the thinking is a little more progressive and not so. Yeah. So I don't think they want to conform, and I think religion generally is it's, thought of as old fashioned and making and, them conform. Not thinking of where culture is today. To, a second reason that young people depart church as young adults is that something is lacking in their experience in church. One third said church is boring. Oh, I, I totally get that. One quarter of these young adults said that faith is not relevant to my career or interests. Wow. It's quite a statement. Another is the Bible is not taught clearly or often enough. I can see that. I kind of just glossing over or, you know, like just a statement saying, well, you just have to believe that. You know what I mean? Like not taught clearly. Like, well, it just says this. So what does that mean? No, you just just believe what it says. Sure. The Bible says that I believe it. That settles it sort of thing. Right. And it says, sadly, one-fifth of these young adults who attended church as a teenager said, God seems missing from my experience in church. Wow. Hmm. Reason three. Churches come across as antagon, antagonistic to science. Isn't this interesting? I'm, I'm, I'm finding a little bit of a thread for my ears anyway, that, that being a part of, of a, a community of believers can be exclusionary. At, well, that, 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 that's come later. Yeah. But that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of them. Starting to, Absolutely. That, it feels like a little, a little click, a little cult, wow. right? Yeah. But I, I, I guess I can see that. Yeah. So how about antagonistic to science? Oh, sure. Sure. Christians feel too confident that they know all the answers. Absolutely. Yeah. Three out of ten young adults with Christian background feel that churches are out of step with the scientific world we live in. Another one quarter embraced the perception that Christianity is anti-science. You know, it's so funny because now look at our whole world. Discussing science, what's science and what's not science. Right. Right. Not even in the church, outside the church. And nearly the same portion, proportion, 23% said they have been turned off by the creation versus evolution debate. Furthermore, the research shows that many science minded young Christians are struggling to find ways of staying faithful to their beliefs and to their professional calling in science related industries it's gonna be interesting to see if my son continues to pursue uh human biology and go into medicine right you know coming from a uh missionary's home pastor's home and right you know as he starts to you know where he'll where he'll be but i've you know i have i'm i'm, a, I'm maybe a little bit different anyways in my approach to things and hopefully he'll you know know that it's okay to be a little more open-minded and so forth right right how about this one young christians uh Church experiences related to sexuality are often simplistic, judgmental. You know this is controversial, but you know people in the in, in biblical times, Old and New Testament, uh, women were married off 
at 12 years old, 13 years old, right? Now people are waiting till they're, you know, late 20s, early 30s before they ever get married. And so we're asking them to be, you know, sexually pure, like all the time. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that's what we're asking, and and that's a, that's a. It was e- it's easier when you you know somebody's getting married at 12 or 13. You know, what I mean, hey, stay, right? <laughs> yeah. How many partners have you had? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, reason five: They wrestle with the exclusive. Here's getting what you're talking about. The exclusive nature of Christianity. It's like a club, right? It said um, three out of ten young Christians, 29% said churches are afraid of the beliefs of other faiths. Um, An identical portion felt that uh, they are forced to choose between my faith and my friends. One-fifth of young adults with a Christian background said church is like a country club, only for insiders. How do you balance that as a pastor, though? to stay true to the Bible and the teachings that you've come to understand and believe and yet tell your parishioners to have an open mind. That sounds like another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> podcast. Next time. Your with Pam friend. when she returns. That's right. <laughs> with, with Jeff, Pam, and Scott. And if you have any suggestions, please let us know. We'd love to cover something that maybe we haven't covered yet. In uh, Well, this is uh, episode number 32, though. We've done some holiday episodes, so we're, we're uh, getting close to uh, a year. Yeah. It's exciting stuff. We still like each other. Exactly. Wait, I'm speaking for you. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. Oh, let us know uh, on our Facebook page. Freedom Life Center. Center is ctr.org and a new episode every Tuesday at 1. Thank you.